Let's turn for one last time to the book of Acts this morning, Acts 28. And as you do, I want you to know on this Palm Sunday, the Sunday that Jesus triumphantly entered into the city of Jerusalem, that uh, this is Easter week, and we celebrate and proclaim with the rest of the church uh, the Passion Week. And again, it's really hard as you look outside to not think it, but we're going to sing a new song uh, this Easter, and uh, you know it. It goes like this, I'm dreaming of a white Easter. Uh, I uh, was looking in between services. Right now they're saying we could get it upwards of five to eight inches of this stuff today. Isn't that amazing? I mean, let's just, let's just ask God to stop it. I don't know who asked for it. Um, but, uh, but let's pray that this is truly the end. But with that, let's, let's turn to the book of Acts. And this morning, I, I want to just uh, spend time bringing a close to our series that we've invested a great amount of time in. Uh, for the last two school years, we have embarked on a journey of truly understanding what God has for us as a church. Now, that's true of every series that we do. That's true every time we open up God's Word. We want to hear from God and know God, but as the preaching team and the elders determined that the book of Acts would be where we would land for the last two school years, we wanted to learn and to grow and be equipped to be a church and to be a people like those people in the book of Acts, that we would be a people on mission for God and for his kingdom, not only here, but all over the world. And I'm so very thankful that I'm a part of a church that takes that call seriously, that takes that call personally. I'm thankful that as a church we are sending people out all over the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ because we believe in one singular truth and that is the gospel has and the gospel always will be the only hope for the world. And so we believe that and we affirm that and we hold true to that and that's why we turn to the scriptures and we look to a model like the book of Acts and we ask how did God move in the hearts and minds and in the lives of people just like you and me to change their world radically with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know more than 50 sermons have been preached in this series. Over 50 sermons. I was trying to figure out exponentially how many hours have been spent uh, in the study of this by our people, thinking of all the hours that were spent each and every night at each of our small groups that are meeting throughout the Fox Valley areas. They opened the book of Acts and they studied and learned. We have spent massive amounts of time in this book, massive amounts of energy seeking to understand and know what God's will is for us in light of what we've learned in the book of Acts. But here's the great concern that I have. The great concern that I have is that we will be hearers of the word and not doers of it. That we will leave this book of Acts and we'll say, okay, we can cross that off our list. That's another book that we've uh, taken care of in the 66 books of Scripture. And while we can be commended as a church that has not allowed our itching ears to hear only what we want to hear, but we have devoted ourselves to the study of God's Word, to the reading of it, and to the applying of it to our lives, let us be challenged not to think that it's good enough that we can say our church has gone through the book of Acts, but that we might be able to say, as we do with all Scripture, I've been changed by the book of Acts. 
that we might be able to look back and, and, and have this as a checkpoint in our lives to say, I've become more missional. I've become more on fire for the Lord as a result of the example that Paul and Peter, James and John and the early church set out for me. And that through the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that fell upon the people of God at Pentecost, the same Holy Spirit that followed and empowered Paul through his journey is the same Holy Spirit that is alive and well in our lives today. God wants to use us. And he wants to use us to change the world. Now we're going to come to a passage of scripture, Acts 28, verses 17 through 31, the very last passage of this study in the book of Acts. And we're going to learn that the passage is going to end rather abruptly. They're going to tell us that Paul makes it to Rome after this long and arduous journey. He makes it to Rome. And we're going to be told that for two years Paul hangs out in Rome. We're going to learn about an experience that he has with the chief Jewish leaders of the city and some conversations that take place. And then we're told while he is under house arrest, that is, he can't leave his home, and he is chained to a Roman soldier, that God would use him to do great things amidst the circumstances of difficulty that he faced. But then that's it. We're not told anything more. What we need, it seems, is the 29th chapter of Acts. What we need is the rest of the story. And Luke, the great historian, seemingly wants us to recognize and know this morning that we are the rest of the story. We are the 29th chapter of Acts. We are the ones who take up the mantle, who take up the cross, and follow and uh, devote ourselves daily to the cause of Christ. Paul and Peter, James and John, and the rest served their God, fulfilled their mission in their day. But now it's our day, it's our opportunity. Unless we think that the mission is done, let us be reminded that this mission that we have spent so much time on understanding and devoting ourselves to understanding it in all its truth is an unfinished work. People still are lost. People are still in need of a Savior. But we also need to recognize this morning that while this work is unfinished, as we learned in chapters 1 through 12, that it is an unstoppable work, that which we learned about in chapters 13 through 28. And it should give us confidence, and it should give us courage, that when we embark on this mission, when we take up the mantle of serving and following Christ in our day, and in our world, and in our communities, that God will meet us. And not only will he meet us, but that unstoppable work will change people's lives. We've seen it change the rich and the poor, the weak and the powerful. We've seen it change those who are open to it and those who are opposed to it. Brothers and sisters, in this week of Easter, we must recognize that just as the grave could not stop Jesus, the unbelieving world cannot stop the gospel of Jesus Christ today. We are the victors, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because the spirit that is in us is greater than the spirit that is in the world. So we've got work to do. And the great joy is that we get to enter into a finished work by Jesus Christ on the cross, and it's a victorious work that we can recognize and know 
that when we step out in faith, God will meet us and he will not only change us, but he'll change the world around us. Now it's our turn. Will we take up the calling? Will we take up our commission? Well, let's see how Paul finishes up his commission in Acts 28, verses 17 through 31. It goes like this. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. This is in Rome. And it says, when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked you to, to see you and to speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regards to this sect that's Christianity, for with regards to Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. After disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And in, with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. He lived there, speaking of Paul, for two years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thus concluding the writing of Acts. Let's pray. Father God, I ask for your time, uh, for your presence in this time and in this place. I ask that you would empower your uh, speaker, that I would decrease so that you might increase, and that, Lord, we might fully recognize and know that you have called us to the same mission, to the same uh, calling as you called the early church, to go out and make disciples of all nations, to reach our Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Let that be true of us as a church. Let that be true of us as individuals. Give us opportunities and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing in this world so that we might participate with you in it. Oh, the great joy and the great blessing it is to be on mission for you. Let us never forget it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we are in this mission. We are have this opportunity. We are living in a time that needs the gospel. 
And we have seen now for 28 chapters people who have taken the calling of Christ and the commission of Christ seriously in their world. And we are seeing with our own eyes how they have changed the world around them. And we have to ask the question this morning, what keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from uh, serving and honoring God in such a way? What keeps us from being bold and courageous? What seemingly keeps us as a church of thinking on the inside instead of the outside? What keeps us from changing the world? Well, before I get to my points this morning, I want to give you four reasons why, when it's our turn, we fail to take up the challenge. The first one I want you to see is that of fear. Just write that down somewhere. It's not in your outline. Just write it down as a way to remember fear. Well, we face a fraction of the pushback and the persecution that was experienced in the book of Acts. Many of us live in fear of some sort of reprisal that will come against us. Maybe it's that we'll lose a level of popularity. Maybe it is that we'll lose an opportunity for a promotion at work or our standing in the community. Maybe we're fearful that someone might hurt us in some way, as that though seems a little bit out of the norm here in America. There's all kinds of fear as to why we don't take up the calling. Fear that we won't know what to say or have the requisite information when someone asks us a question. And for many, the reason why we stop at the book of Acts and say, wow, that's really great what they did, but I could never do that today, is because of fear. The second thing that we see is a lack of faith. A lack of faith. And maybe today you are struggling to take on the mission of God in your life. And, and the reason why is you just struggle with faith. Is God going to meet me when I need him most? I see how God was with Peter and God was with the apostles and God was with Paul and, and God was with his church in the book of Acts. But when I need Jesus most, do I have enough faith that I will believe that he is with me? Will I believe that as he sends me off on this work, that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to see it to completion? For some this morning, you're living amidst storms and troubles. And you're wondering, God, have you forgotten me? God, have you left me on my own? And that lack of faith causes us to pull back in doing what God has called us to be a part of. Fear. Maybe it's a lack of faith. For some, it's frustration. Frustration. You've served and you've honored God, and you should be commended for that. God bless you for, for doing that. But in your time of serving and honoring and ministering, to God, uh, ministering for God to people, maybe trouble has come. Or maybe you're just tired of the, of the frustration that comes with the rejection. You go and you pray yourself up, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand that invite card to somebody. And you work up the courage and the confidence and you hand the invite card to them. And they look at you and go, why would you think I would want to go to your church? What made you think that I needed Jesus? And you're just so frustrated with it all. It's just not, it's not worth it. It's not worth the frustration that comes, the trouble. Maybe you've been sharing your faith in your family. And here comes another Easter holiday, 
where you're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You're going to try to be light in the dining room, if you will, of your family life. And you're just going to be rejected for it. And you're just growing frustrated with it. I just, I don't have the energy anymore to deal with that kind of rejection. And so some, maybe some of you find yourself frustrated. Are you not engaged in the mission out of fear, lack of faith, or frustration? For some, it's just fatigue. Maybe there was a time and a moment where you were on fire for the Lord and you served and honored God and you loved Him and, and, and maybe even God met you and some great things are happening. Maybe you look back and say the good old days of, of youth group or the good old days when I first came to know Christ and, and I served and I honored Christ and I, I did what I was called to do. But quite frankly now, I'm awful tired. Maybe someone else can take it up. Maybe it's time for me to retire. Maybe for me to step off the stage so that others can do it. Let, let the young people do it. Let the pastors and elders do it. I'm tired. Maybe you look at ministry and the calling of Christ and you say, you know what, as, as an adage that said, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. It's just not worth it. I'm not getting what I want out of it. Is it fear? Is it a lack of faith? Is it frustration? Is it fatigue? Whatever it is this morning, I want you to know that there is no better place on earth than to be on mission for God. It is when we are on mission for God that we will find His presence. It will be there where we will find His peace. It will be there where we will experience His joy. And we will experience what it means to truly be alive in Christ, God said that he has fashioned us, he has made us to be his ambassadors, to go and proclaim the good news of Christ, what's holding us back. Well, what we see in our text is that nothing holds Paul back. And Paul is going to finish the book of Acts on mission for God. And we, if we want to uh, do anything that the early church did, if we want to experience the, the kind of inroads that they made into the world and into the community and the culture around them, then there are some things we need to allow to be a part of our lives. There are five things, and I'm not going to invest a lot of time here. I'm not going to dig deeply into these things, but I want these to be kind of closing thoughts to this long series that we've been a part of, to kind of put a, a, an end to our study. If we're going to be mission on mission for Christ and on mission with his gospel, then it involves five things. Number one, it begins by us trusting, trusting his sovereignty. We need to trust God's sovereignty. Notice in the text this morning that Paul arrives in Rome. And he arrives in Rome, and it tells us in verse 16, when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Now, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our father, yet I have been delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Let's stop there. Paul says, Listen, I've been on a journey. And my journey started long before Jerusalem. In fact, it, the journey began on the road to Damascus as he was a persecutor of the Jews. But in this journey that he's talking about is his journey from Jerusalem to Rome. The final voyage, the final journey Paul would take here on earth for the kingdom of God. 
And in this journey, he says, I've gone from Jerusalem to Rome. And I've been delivered to Rome by the Romans. Now, right away, we would say all Paul is doing is he's explaining how he got from point A to point B. If we were to take this passage completely out of its context and read it, all we're getting is the navigation uh, maps, if you will, of where Paul was and where Paul is now. But I want you to notice that there's a great spiritual truth in that phrase, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And that truth is that it wasn't man, it wasn't the Jews, nor was it the Romans that made up this decision to do this, nor was it Paul's decision, it was God's. It was God's. Write this passage down, Acts 23, verse 11, Acts 23, 11. If you remember, Paul is in Jerusalem, and Paul has been imprisoned, and he's been imprisoned by a mob of people that don't want him preaching the gospel, and he's going to be held trial, and hopefully they're going to be able to put him to death. And while he's in prison that night, in Acts 23, 11, Jesus appears to Paul and says, Paul, you're not going to rot here in prison, nor are you going to die by this tribunal. What you are going to do is you're going to be my witness in Rome. There's a tomorrow for you. And that tomorrow is eventually going to lead you to Rome. And so what God has said is God says, listen, you know your starting point and you know your ending point. That's all you need to know. And so along that journey, and we've chronicled that journey, it's been with all kinds of ebbs and flows, ups and downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Paul has been able to meet those challenges every step of the way because he knew that God had met him in the beginning and that God would be faithful to see him to completion. And that's what you and I must recognize and know. If we're going to go on mission for God, the only way we will not be filled with fear and trepidation and how we will keep ourselves from manipulating the plans and purposes of God in our life is to recognize the God who called me is faithful to see me to the end of the mission. And aren't we so glad that we're able by Luke's hand to see that, that God brings Paul safely to Rome? Now let's be honest. When I say he's brought safely, he's brought to Rome with the, um, enough energy and enough ability to f fulfill his mission in Rome. But I got to imagine he's been beaten up, he's battered, he's tired, there's fatigue and, and, and stress that came along the journey. What, what we don't see is that what, what TV preachers tell us these days is that when we follow Christ or on mission for Christ, everything will go well for us. We'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, Paul says, listen, it hasn't been a healthy journey. And I'm depleted in every way, also financially. And yet God has met me and will give me the requisite help and the requisite energy I need to accomplish the mission. You see, when we can trust the sovereignty of God and recognize that God is in control, we won't fret when things happen or come our way. We will say, listen, Christ has called me heavenward. And along the journey, there will be ups and downs. But the God who reigns supreme over the universe reigns supreme over my life as well. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you serve the God who controls the universe? 
Do you believe that you serve the God who holds the world in his hands? When we begin to believe that, nothing that this world can do, nothing that man can do to us will ever scare us or thwart us from doing what God has called us to. Do you trust in God's sovereignty? Do you believe God is delivering you step by step, day by day, to the destination he's called you to? We need to trust God's sovereignty. The second thing that we need to do is if we're going to be on mission for God and we're going to take the the book of Acts and make it ours and own it, we have got to next embrace flexibility. Embrace flexibility. Verse 20, Paul goes on, he's telling these religious leaders, these Jewish leaders of the city of Rome about who he is and what's transpired. And this is good and wise for him to do. He says, listen, let me tell you about myself because I know there's a lot of stories out there about who I am. And Paul says, listen, what, what has happened is, is because I'm preaching Christ, because I'm preaching about, verse 20, the hope of Israel, he says, that is why I'm wearing this chain. Now Luke helps us And he gives us these little pieces of information to get a picture of what Paul is dealing with. So earlier in the text, verse 16 of chapter 28, we are told that Paul is living by himself with the soldier that guarded him, okay? So he's living in a house, but his roommate is an imperial guard. But now we are told that it's a little more involved than that. And so what we've got is we've got Paul living in a house with a guard who he's chained to. And we know that what Luke is writing about is what we learn from Roman historians, and that is that when people were put under house arrest, usually a guard was given the job of being chained to them. So I want you to imagine this morning that you are Paul, and you are living in a house which is better than a jail, than is better than a dungeon. Paul will eventually be thrown into a dungeon at the end of his life, but he's not there yet. And the the difference is, is he says he goes from having a chain to being in chains, plural, to Paul being this guy in a house with a chain attached to a Roman soldier. Now, I, I want you to think about all that you've done this morning. Now think about it chained to somebody else. And I'm talking about the daily necessities of of daily life. You're going to need some flexibility, right? Now right away, your dignity is gone. Right away, your privacy is gone. Right away, there's no ability for you to have any kind of real freedom to do what you want on your terms and in your schedule. You have got to do everything with the thought that I've got someone else around me at all times. And I'm bound to this home. Now, it is a bit ironic that um, house arrest is something that we can understand. This week we saw Julian Assad um, being pulled out of house arrest from an embassy where he could not leave the house. And for years he was holed up in a house Uh, Able to watch TV, able to read newspapers and periodicals, to surf the web. But he could never leave the house. And you would see pictures of him in in, uh, windows looking out and with great dismay that the whole world is there. But the moment he would leave the house, he would be arrested and thrown into prison. 
Paul's under house arrest. Now you would imagine that what Paul would do is he would say, listen, okay, I'm done. My ministry's done. My, my life is done. But he doesn't get depressed. He doesn't lose his mind. What he did was, is he poured himself into ministry. The only way you and I will be able to do that is if we're flexible. Some of us right now are so stubborn in our ways that even if opportunity was before us, we would say no because it doesn't fit our criteria or schedule or, or uh, area that we want to be living in right now. God's maybe calling you to some great gospel ministry, but you're stubborn because it involves those kinds of people. Maybe you're turning away ministry because it means that you're not going to be able to watch um, the sporting event uh, each Sunday because you've committed to serving in a class or serving in a ministry. Maybe it's going to mean that you're going to have to give up some of your money because giving money back to God is of a greater precedent and priority than it is to uh, give to yourself. You see, as Christians, we are called to flexibility. The early church would have never accomplished what it did had it been inflexible. Paul would say, I desire to be all things for all people. Talk about flexibility. And you see the flexibility of his ministry. Let me just share with you seven ways that Paul was flexible. First of all, Paul was willing to share the gospel both to the Jews and the Gentiles. Number two, Paul was willing to do ministry um, in one place for a short time or a very long time. There are places where he's only there for a day or two, and there are places where he devotes himself to two, three years of time. Number three, we see that Paul is flexible in serving God when things are good and when things are bad. We see Paul is flexible when he ministers while being free and while being imprisoned. Notice when he's out talking and and serving and, and loving on people out in the streets, he's sharing Christ. And then he's in the Philippian jail. And what is he doing? Sharing Christ. We see he's flexible. When in how he presents Christ. We are told today in our text that he would preach Christ from morning to evening. That's my kind of preaching. Hours long. Glory to God. But then we see last week that he shares Christ and shows the love of Christ not through the preaching of hour-long sermons or, or all-day sermons, but through the taking care of temporal and tangible needs of others. His ministry was flexible. Notice he was flexible to serve and and to preach the gospel to those who were open to the gospel and those who were opposed to the gospel. And finally, he was willing and flexible to not only preach the gospel to kings, but also to slaves. Can I ask you a question this morning? Where is your line where you will tell God no? What line is that in your life where God, if he was to say, I want you to go here to serve these people in this way, what is your line where you will say, no, God, I won't do that? That's inflexibility. And the problem with inflexibility is it's fine to be inflexible if you're God. But let me just remind you on this snowy Palm Sunday morning, there is a God and you and I aren't him. 
And so we are his subjects. And so when the God of the universe says, uh, little man or little woman, you need to jump, our answer needs to be, no, I don't think so, God. Our answer needs to be, yes, God, how high? And so we need to be altogether flexible to go where God wants us to go, to do what God wants us to do, to serve God, uh, to serve him to whom he wants us to serve. We need to get rid of anything that causes rigidity in our lives, that causes us to say, no, God, I've got another idea. Paul, whether in chains or free, sought to serve God, and we should as well. Number three, we must pursue spiritual vitality. We must pursue spiritual vitality. In verses 23 through 28, a day is appointed where these Jewish leaders in Rome would come to him, and it says in greater number, and that he would talk to them. It says from morning till evening, he expounded to them, verse 23, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made a statement that the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. I want you to recognize in Paul's preaching to this group of Jewish leaders is a calling for them and a calling for us to pursue spiritual vitality. Paul says there is life to be had. Being on mission, listen, isn't just for us to do, 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 do. It is to experience and to be something. God doesn't have us just as these little worker bees out doing his uh, little tasks. We're not his minions, if you will, solely to accomplish what he's asked of us. No, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. But as we serve and honor him with our deeds, God is pouring into us his love, his grace, and his mercy. And because of that, we get to experience joy and the satisfaction of experiencing and knowing our God, who we were created to have relationship with. Now this vitality is seen in a couple things. Notice in the text, first of all, we only will find vitality in this life when we understand the kingdom of God. It says that Paul preached and expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God when he taught us how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is God bringing heaven to earth. And so what Paul is saying is how God planned to bring heaven to earth. Now, heaven was brought to earth in the garden. It was brought to earth to Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve fell. And Adam and Eve chose rebellion over righteousness. And because of that, paradise was lost. 
And God didn't leave us there. In fact, God in Genesis 3 says, I will not leave you in your sin, but I will bring one of the woman's offspring who will crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent will nip at his feet. And so from the beginning, God promised that he would bring heaven to earth. And the prophets foretold about it. And the patriarchs hoped for it. And on that great and glorious day in Bethlehem, Jesus drew near. God came near. And He came, and He took on flesh, and He made His dwelling among us, and we have experienced the glory, the glory of the one and only. And Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. And what did we do when He brought the kingdom of heaven? We esteemed Him not. We didn't believe Him. And even worse than not believing Him, we mocked Him and scorned Him. And then we put Him on the cross and we said that He was a criminal. Now God could have said, alright, you blew it in the garden and now you've blown it again. It's all over. But God said after Christ had died that He would be raised. And in His resurrection is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And now the kingdom of God is being made manifest little by little, day after day. And there will be a time and there will be a moment of God's choosing where He will bring all things under His feet. And so what does that mean for us? If you and I want to be on mission for God and experience the vitality that it is to live for God, then we must live as citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. Now you say, but wait a minute, Tim, I've never been to heaven, and I only live here on earth. How do I do that? By doing what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. By asking God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is perfectly done in heaven. And what we are asking for is we're asking for the kingdom of God to be made manifest in our life, that when God calls us to do something, we do it. When call, God calls us to live a certain way, we live that way. Why? Because we want heaven on earth. We want to experience the fullness of what it means to have paradise regained and to experience true fellowship with God. So how do we do it? Notice what Paul does. Paul says, you want the kingdom of God? Where does he go? It says he expounded upon the scriptures. He expounded upon the scriptures. Notice, he tried to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. The Old Testament. The only scriptures that Paul would have had at the time. And what that tells us is vitality is found as we study and search the scriptures to know the good and pleasing will of God. So let me ask you this morning... Are you experiencing the vitality it is to be on mission for God? And if your answer is no, it's not God's fault, it's your own. And the reason why is maybe it is that you've not devoted yourself to the study of Scriptures, to the devouring of Scriptures, so that you may be fed by them. Notice the excitement Paul has. It says that he did this from morning till dark. Let me ask you this. Do you have enough knowledge of the Scriptures that you could devote that kind of time to the articulation of its truth? If not, there's work to be done. Know the Scriptures. 
understand the scriptures. But let me ask you a secondary question, because there are a lot in this place who've grown up in the church, who know the Bible backwards and front. Do you have that kind of excitement that you would want to devote a whole day to talking about spiritual things? Well, how do we get there? Paul uses a passage from Isaiah in our text. And the whole passage, and I could really invest a lot of time here, the meaning behind it, the connections between the Jews and the Gentiles, and and the whole plan and purposes of God, and I'll leave that for you to continue to study on your own. But I want you to know what God does is He breaks people down into two groups. The word has been preached, the word has been proclaimed, and there are two responses to it. You close off your ears, or you listen. The word of God is given to us, and we close our eyes to it, or we open our eyes to it. And so the question is this morning, are you dulling yourself from the things of God, or are you looking forward with great anticipation of what God is going to teach you through it? That is where we will find true vitality in the faith. I wrote something in my notes, and I'm just going to read it for you instead of preaching it to you uh, and help you understand just how I'm working through this. I wrote the following, I am saddened as a pastor more and more when I see Christians proclaim that they have been changed in great and awesome ways, even more ways than that of Christ by a new exercise or diet plan or some new way of living. How they announce with great excitement how a particular product has changed their lives. Now don't get me wrong. Many of these things no doubt bring great good. And for that we should be happy. But what I am jealous for God is, is the passion for Christians that seemingly have a passion for everything else instead of God. Why is it, God, that your people will get up early to work out, to fix their bodies, but not get up and do devotions to fix their spirits? Why is it, God, that your people will save up for a new iPhone, but won't sacrifice to give to God's work? Why is it, God, that we will sit with rapt attention in watching a new Avenger movie, but we are bored when people talk about God and His Word? Let it never be said, God, that your people here at Village missed out on God's mission because we had grown bored or dulled by your things. You have shown us what it means to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you've given us an example in Paul who loved the things of God far more than the things of this world and because of it was able to share the good news of Christ with more than he could ever imagine. Are you dulled by the things of God this morning? If so, then never expect God to do anything of greatness through you because your eyes and your hearts and your passions are for other things than him. Paul shows us what it means to pursue spiritual vitality and we need to lean into that this morning. Number four, And I'll just quickly move through these last two. We need to seize opportunity. In verses 30 and 31, 
we are told that Paul lived two whole years at his own expense. He had his own house, he was a tent maker, and so he made tents in his home, and then he sold them. And it says that he welcomed all who would come. And what did he do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul is contained by house arrest. You and I would have given him a pass in the text and said, you know what, because of Paul's arrest, he would spend the next two years just praying and just residing, that we wouldn't expect him to do anything more. But I want you to notice that what Paul does, wherever Paul was found, was to do something he told the Ephesian church. In the book of Ephesians, he tells the Ephesians at the end of his letter to them, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There's work to be done, what Paul is saying. In the world that we live in, there's always an opportunity. Oh, maybe you feel like you've been silenced by your workplace or silenced by the culture, or maybe your circumstances in life have caused you to think there's really no real good opportunities. Maybe because you're older and, and, and energy is gone, it's not like it used to be that you think, you know what, there's no opportunity to serve. Well, I want you to know Paul was in a house, under house arrest. Paul was chained to a Roman guard. Paul had no privacy, no opportunity to do what he wanted, when he wanted, but he seized the opportunity that God placed before him. What was the opportunity? What did he make the most of? Turn in your Bibles very quickly to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, page 980. Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing one of his prison epistles. And so Paul is writing this while the book of Acts 28 is being lived out. So what is Paul doing when he's in the house, under house arrest, chained to an armed guard? This is what he's doing. Notice he tells them in Philippians why they can have joy amidst all circumstances. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What he's saying is there's opportunity here. Well, what's the opportunity? Notice, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This is what Paul did. Paul has this guy chained to him. And he could have cried and he could have moaned and groaned about how bad it was and, and talk about the lack of privacy that he had. But you know what Paul said? Paul said, I've got an audience. I'm going to tell him about Christ. And here's the great thing. He can't go anywhere. He's chained to me. He's got to listen. And it tells us that the imperial guard was made aware of why, Christ, why Paul was in chains. And it was because of Christ. So let me ask you this morning, who are you chained to? Hopefully you're not saying your spouse. But who are you chained to that you think is a problem? That God has given you a unique opportunity to share the good news of Christ. Is it your workplace? Is it your school? Is it your community? Where has God changed you, locked you in? 
that seemingly seems like all hope is gone, that you can seize the opportunity to serve and honor Christ. Paul said it. He said, listen, if I'm going to have a soldier strapped to me, I might as well get him saved. And that's what we need to do as well. We need to seize the opportunity because God gives them every step of the way. Finally, we need to live for eternity. Acts comes to an abrupt end. Our text tells us uh, what kind of finishes up as Paul gets to Rome, but it concludes in a very odd way. It doesn't resolve questions we have. Number one, what happens to the church? What goes on with the church? We would have to look to history and other scriptures to answer that question. But we do know that Jesus was right, that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That was true in Acts, that was true in the first couple centuries, and it's true even in the 21st century today. The next question we have to ask is, what would happen to Paul? All we get is that Paul is under some lenient form of house arrest and that he would be under it for two years. But we know that Paul, based on history and based on his own writings, would tell us his end would come in a far different way. It's during this time, during these two years, that Paul would pen four letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then within a matter of a few years after uh, Luke's writing of Acts 28, Paul would be martyred for his faith. And verse 31 could serve as his tombstone. He had served his generation, he had fought the good fight, and he had finished the race. He proclaimed without hindrance and with great boldness the kingdom of God. Now listen, it's our turn. It's our job now to do the same thing. Paul is no longer here. Paul did his duty, he died And now he's in heaven. Now it is for us. Paul saw his life as nothing unless it's used for Christ. Not only him, but each of the dear people that served and honored God in our study of the book of Acts. Will you? Will you faithfully give all of your life to Christ? Will you take up the mantle of God and his kingdom, fully trusting that he is in control? Will you change your plans and dreams to follow the commands of Christ? Will you walk with Him as a priority and be on the lookout for opportunities to serve God and to share His gospel? You see, when we are willing to put His kingdom first, when we are to do as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God, we will be blown away, church, by what God will do in and through us. So what do you need to do to be building into your life right now so that your faith in Christ will be what people remember. Luke's story of the early church is designed to give us 21st century Christians insights into the power we have in the Holy Spirit, the hope we can have amidst storms, the peace and joy that is found as we come together as followers of Jesus Christ in the church to fulfill God's plan to bring all people, listen to me, God's plan is for us to bring Sugar Grove. God's plan is for us to bring Fox Valley. God's plan for us is to bring America. God's plan is for us to bring the world to Jesus Christ on their knees for the glory of God. And God says that that mission, 
that job, that plan that he has since the foundations of the world is unstoppable. The world can't thwart it and God will be brought great glory when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that day, you and I have been called. It's our turn to take the mission of the book of Acts, the mission of the gospel to a lost word in need of a savior.